Thankfully, it's not all of Psalm 119. <laughs> so it's Psalm 119 verses 1 through 16. In the Pew Bibles in front of you, that's page 409, well, from page 495, from verse 1. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do no wrong, but follow his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Thanks, Doris. Please do have that part of God's word open in front of you. Uh, we are going to be exploring much of it. And so we didn't get to read it all, um, which in some ways is a bit sad, but it would take us a long time. But I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray now, and I'm going to pray using two verses of this psalm, uh, and then we will dig into what the Lord has to say to us through his word. Father, open our eyes that we may see wonderful things in your law. Lord, cause us to understand the way of your precepts that we may meditate on your wonderful deeds. And God, I ask that my words will be yours, that spirit you work with us and in us in this moment, whether we're here or across the screen. May we delight in your word far more as a result of hearing it than we do in this moment. Uh, may you hold us and keep us as we approach it now. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we all have stories uh, most, well, we all really have stories that are far more about the journey than the destination. Do you have stories that are like that? Where it's not so much about where you're going, but it was about what happened. It was the journey about how you, you got there. The stories that you bring up at your family gatherings or with your mates around the Christmas table. It could be something like the, the camping trip that was all a mess. Could have been about when your dad did the wrong turn and you ended up in some strange place. It could be a journey of hiking in the wind and the rain. It could be either some other journey, journey towards the partner that you found or the job that you've now find it, found yourself in. In many ways, we are on a journey and we think about those, those journeys. And it's the things that are unexpected and the things that pop up out of nowhere and then how we respond to those things that make us remember them. Because it's in those journeys 
uh, well, sorry, within those journeys, there was something that got us through. Something that meant we could continue on. Something that we, we held on to, maybe consciously or subconsciously. And for us as Christians, we're on a journey in faith. Now, we care very much about the destination. It's not just who cares about the destination and we're all about the journey. No, we're, we're on about the kingdom of God. We're looking forward to the second coming of Christ. We're looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth. But in this moment, in this time, in this place, in our life now, we're on the journey of faith. And so we want to follow Christ. We want to be deep and genuine in his word. But at times in this journey, we can get sidetracked. At times, we want to turn around. At times, we lose our way. And so, in a sense, we need help in this journey. We're so blessed that we have the Holy Spirit. Now we're in a different time than what the psalmist is in. But this psalm speaks very directly into the journey that we're on. Psalm 119 is so many things, but one thing that it is, is it's kind of like this huge journal entry that this man gives on what it looked like for him, looks like even in this moment, to do the journey of faith. This is not answers to the life's questions. This is how is it that I'm going to go about this journey? How is it that I can follow in the way of the Lord in every moment, in every scene and every season of life? Psalm 19, all of God's word does this, but Psalm 19 in particular has the potential to transform our relationship with God by changing the way we know and use God's word. If we want to know the good, the right way to live, we want to be in right relationship with God, then we need to meditate and live out his word. God's word is central to our journey of faith. Now, our approach to this psalm today... um, I heard a, a little man behind me say, is this the longest chapter in the Bible? And said, yeah, it is. Good job. Um, it, is a, it is a long one. It's double the size of the next biggest one. And Steve, if you were here last week, was joking, you know, bring your packed lunch. And in a sense, we could approach the psalm that way. I came across a s- sermon series this week by a Puritan pastor named Thomas Menton who wrote 190 sermons on Psalm 119 over three years. Right, there, there's a lot going on in Psalm 119. Now, that will not be our approach today. It could, could be, but we're not going to do that. Our approach is we're going to look at it through this journey lens. But imagine like you're at a work party or Christmas party or some kind of event, and there's a smorgasbord of all sorts of good things. We're going to look at the smorgasbord of Psalm 119 and hopefully be amazed at God's word. Just look at it and go, wow, this is incredible. And then we're going to taste test a few little bits and pieces as we go along on the way after that. That's going to be our trajectory as we go about it. We're going to narrow our focus and see how it is that we should view and know God's word so that we can then use it every day. Know and see it so that we can use it every day in our walk with God. How the spirit can bring these words to life. So we can do the journey of faith. With me as we do that? So have it open. Psalm 119, the first thing we're looking at is how it is that we can seek and know God through his word. Now the first way we're going to do this is we're going to look at the whole smorgasbord, the whole psalm, uh, whole of Psalm 119 uh, in a go. Now there's two overall things to appreciate as you look at the psalm overall. The first one is, is that it's actually a big acrostic poem. Do you remember acrostic poems from your primary school time? 
where every word, every um, sentence starts with a particular letter. Now, in this case, uh, it's following the Hebrew alphabet. Every letter from Aleph to Tau, we would think about that as A to Z. In Hebrew, there's 22 letters in their alphabet. Psalm 119 has 22 stanzas. Each of those 22 stanzas, the first word of each um, stanza, so the eight verses in each, begins with that letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So the first eight um, is Aleph, the second eight is Beth, and and so on all the way through. Now, English Bibles don't capture that, but you can... That's what all those funny squiggles and strange Hebrew words are in each section. It's an acrostic poem uh, encapsulating all of God's word. The second thing is that it is all about God's word. That's the content. That's the focus. When you read from beginning to end, it's just like this constant drumbeat about God's word again and again. It comes up. Now, it's not possible to give like a real, this is the summary verse of Uh, the psalm, but as best as can be is verse 97, uh, which says, Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. That's the, uh, the main message of this psalm. It's the content. Now, as you go through it, you might be like, oh man, I'm not seeing a lot of God's word stated throughout here. The psalmist actually uses eight different words, eight verses each time, and he's giving eight different words. These are the eight. They'll be on the screen. Torah, which he uses 25 times. Now, Torah is actually a Hebrew word itself, but it means teaching or instruction. Then you've got statutes. You can think like a statue. Now, obviously, statues do fall down, but statute is something that remains forever. Then you have the law, word, decrees, commands or commandments, precepts, promises. There's 176 verses, and 172 of them use at least one of these words. The psalmist is thinking, what are all the ways that I can describe God and his word? And I'm going to put it in, in lots of different ways, the ones that describe uh, how God reveals himself. And he's not just talking about the Ten Commandments. He's talking about the whole of God's word. The stories of like Moses and Joshua and the judges. He's talking about the other psalms. He's talking about the law. He's talking about the prophets. He's talking about all the ways that God reveals himself. And as he does that, we see that meditating on God's word, it reveals God's character. God's word reveals God's character. There was this, I thought, a very helpful quote from a man named Timothy Ward. He said this, God's word is the primary means by which God presents himself to us in such a way that we can know him and remain in faithful relationship to him. But why would the psalmist do it this way? Why write an acrostic poem? And why have this constant drumbeat of God's word? The psalmist is capturing that every part of life, from beginning to end, from the A to the Z of life, can be, is addressed by God's word. It connects, covers, can be transformed by every part as God's word applies to everything. And so friends, is that how we think about God's word? That God's word actually is the A to Z of life. That it speaks into every single part of who we are, how we understand God, ourselves, the world, the wise way to live. And I know for myself and when I chat with other people and um, we know in ourselves as well that 
Sometimes, often, we're not looking at God's word in that kind of way. We go to self-help books and to wise counselors, trusted friends, sound bites on TikTok and Instagram. And some of those things can be good. Some of those things can be helpful in a moment. But they're only to a degree. Psalm 19, 119 thrusts upon us that God's word is actually complete. That all of this that we read in whatever book, whatever um, version of the Bible you have, is God's word to you for life. And so if that's the case, the psalmist is saying, this is the greatest possession that I have. And so he will say in verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart. In other translations, it says, I've stored your word or I've treasured your word in my heart. Meaning I'm getting God's word and I'm, I'm just devouring it and I'm stuffing it deep within my soul. I'm pushing it deep within my heart into my being and into my character. Now in practice... To hide God's word in your heart means to memorize and to meditate on the word of God. Now, when you and I here in 2024 memorizing the the scriptures, it sounds a bit odd. It sounds very old-fashioned. That sounds like something you do before smartphones, right? We're not really naturally inclined to think, well, there's a need to uh, memorize God's word. I know for myself, like, I might remember a fragment of, a, of, of something and I'll put it in Google and then it comes up. So well, what's the point? Why would I want to bother remembering, memorizing, hiding God's word in my heart? I want to offer uh, two reasons. And Chuck Swindoll has this uh, very helpful quote as we get into this. He says this, I know no other single practice in the Christian life more rewarding, practically speaking, than memorizing scripture. That's pretty Pretty crazy. More practically speaking, this is the most helpful. Let me give you two reasons. The first reason is God's word guards our heart. It guards our heart from things that are stopping us or preventing us from following him. Let's say it's temptation in some way. And I'm not talking about the temptation of going off and sleeping with your neighbor's spouse or going to rob a bank. We know that stuff. We, don't, we, we know that we don't need to do those things, that we shouldn't do those things. But I'm talking about the temptations that are more the, the mission killers, the temptations which stop us maturing in faith, the things that stop us persevering in faith. It might be the things that when we get afraid or when we feel alone or unwanted, the times that we fear, where we fear what might happen to us, we fear what other people will think of us, we think what might happen to us. When we have God's word hidden within our heart, when it's deep within our soul, the Spirit applies it to us and we, he guards our heart because God's word is centered in there. Now, the second reason is God's word shapes our heart, shapes our character and being. When you memorize scripture, if you've done it before, how many times does it come up again? Have you memorized something before or you've read something in the morning and you just like, man, that applies to my life here. It applies to my life there. It is shaping you and molding you in those moments. Now, Dallas Willard, who is, one, he's, he's passed away, gone with the Lord now, but he's one of the greatest influences and, and leaders in these spiritual practices and discipline space. And he says, Bible memorization is absolutely fundamental to spiritual formation. If I had to choose between all the disciplines of the spiritual life, of which Dallas Willard wrote about all of them, I would choose Bible memorization because it is the fundamental way of filling our minds with what we need. So friends, hide God's word in your heart. 
Memorize a verse, a section of scripture. Perhaps you want to memorize part of this psalm. Now, I had the blessing of going through this earlier, and so I'm going to memorize verses 33 to 40. You want to memorize that? You can memorize that with me, and we can bounce off one another. Memorize something else. Maybe there's something part of God's word that you don't really like. Memorize that. If there's something that you're like, I know that God is moving into this season. This is going to ground me and push me towards the Lord. Memorize that. Memorize the scripture will guard and will shape your heart and grow us in relationship with God. So that's the initial overview. That's the, as we look at the smorgasbord of Psalm 119, that's what we see. Then as we journey into the, and some of the, to the particulars, we see some of the content that he talks about. In this journey of faith, we see that we must learn to love and obey God. Love and obey God's word. Now here we're just going to brush the surface of a few things. I want to point out a couple of verses where the psalm just loves, he delights, he adores uh, God's word. Now I've picked out four, there's so many. Verse 20, my soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. Verse 47, for I delight in your commands because I love them. Verse 72, the law of your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of Thousands of pieces of silver and gold. I mean, that one hit me. I'm not into silver and gold in its content. But more precious than the greatest precious thing that we can have and hold. God's word is greater than that priceless untold treasures. Verse 103. How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. The psalmist is saying here, I don't just hear and I know God's word. No, I'm experiencing it. Like, you know, literally honey. I can tell you that honey is sweet, but until you taste it, you do not know its sweetness. The psalmist is saying, I'm tasting that the Lord is good and his word is sweeter than honey. This is kind of the emotion. This is the delight. This is the kind of the heart bubbling up of this psalmist. He just loves, treasures, adores God's word above all things. And it draws him into right relationship with God. Dennis Tucker said this, We love God's word because it is not just a mirror that allows us to understand what we have to do right with God, but a window that allows us to see who God is and what he has done. And when we see who God is and what he has done and who we are now, the people of God, this word becomes a treasure. And we delight, we love it at this psalmist is talking about. But then as he loves and he delights in the word, it pushes him to obey. Pushes him to obey and to follow. Now that's not very fashionable in our day and age. Repent, obey, follow rules, uh, that kind of thing. But listen to the psalmist. Verse 8, I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I have set my heart on your laws. I will always obey your law forever and ever. I have taken an oath and confirmed it, and I will follow your righteous decrees. This is not just a one-off thing. I've taken the oath, and I'm following day after day after day. Your statutes are wonderful, therefore I will obey them. I obey your statutes because I love them greatly. The psalmist is saying, okay, God, I'm not going to pick and choose which parts of your word I'm going to follow. No, I'm going to follow all of it. 
Because he knows and we know if we start picking and choosing, I'll follow this part but not that part. I'll obey this part half and that part a quarter. I'll pay that part in full. At that moment, we've said, I'm God. Because if God is God, we'll obey all that he says. And we also obey. Because God's word is beautiful. God's word is good. And God's word is true. And when we know that, that's not just made up. That is what God's word, or part of what God's word is. Nothing will compare. But friends, we have to learn this. It takes practices and time and walking in step with the Spirit in order to love God's word. It's a daily pursuit. It doesn't just happen overnight. It's repentance and faith and walking and stepping and listening to the voice of God. We have to fight our busy schedule. We have to fight our distracted minds. We have to fight the ways that our stubborn heart does not want to follow in the way of the Lord. But when we do, there is pure gold, untold treasures that are found that God gives us through his word. And the psalmist is giving this compelling, this pleading, this, it's an invitation. Come, see, experience, taste that the Lord is good. Love and obey. Now, in the journey of faith, the psalmist is confident. He knows that this is the best and indeed the right way to live, loving and obeying his word. So in this moment, like ask ourselves, are there areas in our life where we're not obeying? Is there an unrepentant sin? Is there a good thing that we know we ought to do when we're not doing it? Is there a relationship that we know we need to begin to pursue forgiveness and reconciliation? Is there some form of justice that we're not pursuing? Is there an idol that we're not tearing down? When God says, come and follow me, he's not interested in a power trip. He's not interested, oh, just follow me because I think it's a, that's what I need. He needs nothing from us. He tells us to love him and to follow him and obey him because it's for our good and for his work in the world. Living God's way will express the kingdom of God are at hand. He knows us, he made us, he created us, and he knows what's best. And then this brings us to the next part of the journey of faith. The next part in the journey, having explored how we seek and know God's word, and how it is that we love and obey. The next section we're going to look in is how we use it. How is it that we use God's word in daily life? Now, in many ways, what we've already spoken about, this is how we, we use it. We think about it and, and we love and obey. That is a use. But I want to offer three specific things that the psalmist uh, addresses about how we use God's word. The first one is we use God's word to show us the way of wisdom. Showing us the way of wisdom. Now, if you know Psalm 119, maybe you know, Psalm, uh, you know verse 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That's a common one. Now, when, when do we need a lamp? You need a lamp when you can't see, when your unaided eyes do not know where to go. Life is too dark without God's word. Life is too dark without his unaided wisdom. A couple of nights ago, I was coming into our bedroom 
Uh, the lights were off, Elizabeth on night shift, so she wasn't there. And I thought, I'll just go in and turn on the lamp, which is on the other side of the room. Forgetting there was something in front of me, forgetting there was a lamp, uh, a, a fan. And so I walked in, I crushed the fan, and then I stubbed my toe. And it was a very sad event, getting into bed. I needed the lamp on. And friends, if we do not follow in the way and the work of the Lord, we're going to get hurt. We're going to lose our way. Or someone else will get hurt. Lord, the God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It doesn't give us exactly what to do in every single specific situation, obviously. But as it tells us how to think about God's word, and when the Spirit applies it to our life, we walk in step with him. So that's the first one. God's word gives us the way of wisdom in life. The second one is that we use God's word to fight temptations and wayward living. Have you ever asked yourself, I just want to stop sinning. How do I stop sinning? How can I live a pure life? The psalmist answers that exact and that specific question. Verse 9, he says, how can a young person, if you're young, then you can apply it to you. And I think if you're of any age, you can apply it to you. But how can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. Now, in some ways, that sounds like the most cop-out answer you've ever heard. How do I follow God? Well, I follow God. How do I follow his word? I read his word. But as I was meditating on this part of God's word, what else was I expecting? If you want to know the way of purity, want to know the way to follow God, then you read his word. And friends, light and darkness cannot coexist. If you're reading God's word and you're meditating and having it, transforming your heart through the spirit, we will more and more follow in the way of the Lord. We will be able to resist temptation through the power of the spirit. He will be able to slay it within us because we will see the beauty and the grandeur of what God calls us to. We'll see the beauty and the grandeur of Christ. And the things of this world will pale in comparison that is how you fight temptation. You continually to engage in God through his word by the spirit. And the psalmist is more than saying, okay, I don't just want to sin. He wants to pursue godliness. When you get to verse 37, he says, turn my eyes from looking at worthless, worthless things and give me life in your ways. One of the problems that we all find is that things that aren't worthless, sorry, things that are worthless to us look very attractive. The psalmist wouldn't have to say, turn my eyes from worthless things if he wasn't attracted to them. He wants them, he looks at them, he's wanting them, and he's saying, God, help me to turn away. By your word and your spirit, help me to turn from those things. For most of us as Christians, as we walk in the way of God, the greatest enemy to our hunger for God is not going to be an X-rated video. It's going to be primetime dribble. It's going to be scrolling on your screen. It's going to be the things that just push us into apathy when we look at the worthless things of the world and think that they're good. When we trade the treasures of God for the treasures of the world, which in the end are worthless. The more we soak ourselves in God's word, the more those worthless things that we're attracted to, we'll see them in the right light. We can use God's word to fight temptations and wayward living. This brings us to the third thing. The third thing that, that God's word allows us to walk in freedom. The psalmist says this, verse 35. 
I walk about in freedom, for I've sought out your precepts. In other words, he's saying, when I follow God, when I walk within his boundaries, when I follow his rules, when I obey, when I give restriction to myself based on God's word, in that moment, in that time, I find freedom. Now that seems so counterintuitive. How is it that the restrictions of God's word is actually going to bring freedom? Now one game I enjoy but I'm not very good at is golf. You know, any other golf people? That's okay. It's not that, <laughs> that easy. Anyway, one of the frustrating things about golf is that to hit the ball really well, there are so many rules that you have to apply to your body. There's so many different restrictions, so many different things that you have to do. Put your hips there, hold it here, arm straight, this arm bent, move your hips and your shoulders in the right direction, look at the ball, then look where you want to go. There's so many rules and regulations that you have to obey in your body if you want that ball to go well. But if you do all those things, the ball flies and it goes exactly where you want. That's God's word. When we live in his way, That's where freedom is. Our world says to you, it says to me, look within. When you look within, that is where you will find joy. That is where you'll find freedom. God says, no, don't look within. Look up. Look to me. In me, you will find freedom. In me, you will find life. And that's the third use of scripture. We can live in freedom. Now, in our journey of faith, Knowing God's word, loving and obeying, using God's word is central. But ultimately, this psalm is not the end of the story. This psalm is set within a story. And if we were to leave it here, this psalm, my words, have just placed a huge burden on you. A huge burden on you that will leave you crippled in the end. The beauty is that the word of God became human. The word of God became human. Jesus is the word of God. And we know that from the beginning of John's gospel, where he said, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is actually the only person who can live out this psalm perfectly. And he is the one of whom this psalm is talking about in its fullness. The word of God in all its ways was made flesh. That is a crazy concept. But the word of God is Jesus. And so perhaps after you read this, you know, we've gone through this very quickly in a sense, but if you were to meditate on this psalm, like it's so compelling, and yet it also makes you feel incredibly guilty in some way. It makes you feel ashamed because, I mean, I'm not like this psalmist at all. I'm not continually walking in the way of the Lord. But then we see Jesus in the psalm. And we see that he is the one who embodies it perfectly. He is the one with whom uh, God finds delight. And we become in him. Because we are all lawbreakers. We are all ones who have turned away, who have walked away from him. But through Christ, uh, we have been delivered And in him there is now no condemnation. So we rejoice, we celebrate, and we embrace the relationship that we're in with God. And then we can walk by the Spirit in the way of this psalmist, in the way of the psalm, in in the way of the Lord. Because 
We are not pursuing God's word for the sake of words. We pursue God's word because we're pursuing a relationship with a personal and a living God. God's word itself is not an end. Jesus is the word of God and we pursue him. We pursue loving and relationship with him. A.W. Tozer, he wrote this. The Bible is not an end in itself, but a means to which a person can become intimate in the satisfying knowledge of God. That we may enter into him and we may delight in his presence may taste and know the inner sweetness of God himself in the core and centre of our hearts. So because we know Jesus and we experience relationship with him, these words, like from Psalm 119, can be applied to our life and we can live as a person of God, as a follower of him, as a woman, as a man of God. And so as this psalm thrusts upon us, In light of who Jesus is, we still meditate on the word. Still continue to meditate on the word of God. It's not just reading. Pray, read, pray, meditate on it, apply it. Let it soak, hide it within your heart. Now, so if you're doing a Bible reading plan at the moment, praise the Lord, keep going in that. If you want to start one, start doing it. If you don't have one, please let God's word encourage you. There's invitation to relationship with him. There is invitation to life and freedom and fullness and all things good that is found in his word. On the back of your sermon outline is a uh, a guide towards reading Psalm 119 over the next 21 days. In 21 days, we begin our vision launch on on February 4th. I said there's 22 stanzas of the psalm, so if you've done math, you're like, well, you missed out a a stanza, Matt. I did. I just crushed the last two in together. But can I encourage you? Meditate on God's word. It doesn't have to be Psalm 119. I've committed. I'm going to do Psalm 119. If you want to do it with me, do something else with a friend. God's word is not just an alone thing. Do it with uh, one another. Because we want to grow to be like this psalmist. I want to grow to be like this psalmist who is just delighting, loving God's word, who can go to him in every season and every circumstance of life, who is walking the way of God. Now, this psalmist, we didn't get to talk about it, but he's actually going through immense suffering. If you read it, some people talk about it as a lament psalm. But as he soaks himself in God's word, he can walk the way of faithfulness on the journey of faith. It is a gift. It is gracious that God has given us his word. So, friends, let's hunger for it. So we, like the psalmist, can say the law from your mouth is more precious to me than a thousand pieces of silver and gold. Meditate on the word of God. Sure, do it alone, do it with a partner, do whatever it may be. Because, friends, we're on a journey of faith. And that journey of faith in following Jesus is an invitation to enjoy him and to participate in his mission to this world, into the unfolding story that we read about in his word. And he says, come be in relationship with me. Come be part of this story be part of this mission in this world. You become a Christian overnight, but then you move and you transform into the image of Christ over a lifetime. And so these are the very words of God. Apply them, these ones. Apply them to your life. Meditate on them. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. It is in there that we enjoy a relationship with God and find life. Let me pray for us. 
Father, we are so accustomed to your word, but what a rich deposit of truth, of beauty and goodness that you've given us. Thank you that you've revealed yourself to us, yourself to us. May we never take your word for granted. And thank you so much, Jesus, that you became flesh, that you became like us, that you made the way. And thank you that by your spirit we're, in, we're invited, invited into relationship with you and your mission in the world. Father, as there are so many things that distract us, that pull us away. There is an enemy at work as well. Guard our hearts and our minds in Christ. May we meditate on your word so that you get the glory, so that we are blessed, uh, so that we are experienced joy in our community is blessed. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.